The following is a continuation in our series, Looking at the Attributes of God. We hope you enjoy. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started here. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 1. Well, let's pray and get started here. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this time that we can come before you. And Lord, we do pray that as we begin to talk about what it means that you are Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that you would help us to better understand you and better appreciate you as Father. And we pray all this in Christ's holy and wonderful name. Amen. Like I just said, we're going to be spending the next three large group times talking about the Trinity. We're going to spend one night talking about the Father, one night talking about the Son, and one night talking about the Holy Spirit. So tonight we're going to talk about the Father. There's a guy who wrote a book on the Trinity named Michael Reeves. He describes how there's a lot of major obstacles in our way when we try to understand the Trinity because the Trinity is a very, very difficult concept for us to wrap our heads around. He wants to get across that it's not seen as a a solution, but as a delight. It's an oddity, and it's a problem at the same time. It's something that we can never fully understand because there's no other picture that we could have that fully describes what the Trinity is. He throws out some examples here. He says, some people say the Trinity is like an egg. You know, there's the shell, there's the yolk, and the white. But it's all one egg. Maybe, right? Some say it's like a shamrock leaf. There's one leaf, but it's got three bits sticking out, just like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's like H2O, the three parts of H2O, or a three-headed giant. Okay? The whole idea of a trinity, there really is no good illustration that we can share, at least none that I've found, that help us better understand it. And the problem is we don't actually have the word triune or trinity in the Bible. If you go through the whole Bible, you won't see it. But the concept of it is all throughout the scriptures, right? It is a mystery, and we'll never fully understand it, which kind of sounds like a cop-out when we are talking to people. Maybe they want to know, what, what's this whole idea of three persons and one God? That's so confusing. But it is a mystery, and when we get to heaven, we'll have the fullest understanding of it. But until then, we have to trust in faith that what we believe about God being Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is, in fact, true. Okay? Again, it's a difficult concept for us to understand, but as we examine the Scriptures, which we'll do tonight, we can begin to have a healthy understanding of how God acts as Father and how He acts as the Son in Jesus and how He acts as the Holy Spirit. So tonight, we're just going to have a very brief introduction to God as Father. So if you're taking notes, the main point is very short tonight. God as Father created and loves us. God as Father created and loves us. So we're going to turn our attention to Genesis 1, and we're going to start by looking at how God is a creator, and how as our Father, He is creator. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The whole idea of creation, okay? Writer John Frame says this about creation. Creation is an act of God alone by which for his own glory he brings into existence everything in the universe, things that had no prior existence to his creative word. So in creation, God, as our heavenly father, brought everything into existence, and it's a term called ex nihilo. Have you ever heard this term before? It's a very fancy term that just means out of 
nothing. Okay? There wasn't any kind of matter or material that God used to create this world. It was simply by the power of his word. He didn't need tools to create this world because he is an all-powerful God who can just create it just by speaking, right? He created everything out of nothing. And the Bible, from the get-go, introduces us to the fact that God is a creator. Because of his power, he is a creator. Creation is God's act alone. We don't play a part in that. It's only him and his power. And we see through creation his control and dominion over everything. And this kind of ties into some of the things we've talked about this semester in just how God is all-powerful, how he's all-knowing, right? But we see his control and dominion over his creation. We know that God created the world, and that's our starting point. He is a creator who is constantly upholding all things that exist. So we know from the scriptures that the earth is the Lord's, and he has power over the world, and he has this creative dominion over the world. So his creation establishes the premise that all things in heaven and earth belong not to us as the creatures, but to God who is the creator. Just a couple of verses that back this up. Exodus 20:11 tells us, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Nehemiah 9.6 tells us, You are the Lord, you alone. You made the heaven. You made the heavens of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that's in it, the seas and all that's in them. You preserve all of them. The host of heaven worships you. And then Paul touches on this in Colossians 1.16 when he says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Which means not only was the earth created by him, but we ourselves were created by him. We talked a few weeks ago how God knows us even before we were in our mother's wombs. That's how powerful he is. His dominion and control and his power extend even to the time when we didn't exist. So the whole idea that God is creator should shape how we live. Okay, so if he is the ultimate being who has created everything, is there anything else that deserves our worship? You, you can answer this. No. no. Acts fourteen fifteen. Paul touches on this when he tells the Gentiles at Lystra in Athens that the Lord has created all things, and because of that, they shouldn't be worshiping man-made idols. He's calling out the whole idea that if God really is the creator of the universe, why are you worshiping something that is much, much lower than him? Okay? It's absurd that people would worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, as Paul writes in Romans one twenty-five. So as the Father who creates, God made the world for his own glory and he makes us to fulfill his purposes. And this is something that should draw us to be thankful. It should draw us to be worshipful. And we should bring him praise because he is a father. But not only is he creator, he loves us as well. He loves his creation. So let's turn to Psalm 145. Verse 9, it's on page 524. Psalm 145, 9 tells us this. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. So I want you to think about the role of any father. And I know that the term father may not be something that brings forth great thoughts in your mind. And, and if that's the case, that's okay. Uh, but the whole premise that God is a father is something that we need to think about and we need to study. Fathers 
emphasize, or at least they should emphasize, this whole idea of love and care and provision and protection and watch over their families. And that's exactly what God does as our Heavenly Father. He cares for us. He loves us. He provides for us. He cherishes us. He watches over us. And God, as our Father, He does that from heaven. He's looking down from His all-powerful dominion and He is exhibiting those things over us. So every creature on earth, every creature, and as we see there in Psalm 145.9, the Lord is good to who? He's good to all, which means that God has care, cherishing, provision, watching over, and love for all of his creation. There's not like a certain part of creation that he only loves. He loves everything because he created it. He created it good, if you remember back to Genesis chapter 1. Okay? It's not a selective thing. Sin caused things to not be good. Okay? And sin caused this rift between us and God. But God's love for his creation didn't change at the fall. We just had to work around the whole idea that we have this chasm in between us and God. Uh, and that requires a, a sacrifice to be made, which we know is in Jesus. But we're told in the New Testament that by Jesus, the love of the Heavenly Father should even be extended to our enemies as well. So like his love for us should actually transform us in ways that are countercultural, in ways that may not make sense. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5:44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So this shows us that God's love is even meant for people that do us harm. God's love is meant for people that have no interest in praising God and in doing good things for the Heavenly Father. And it's this reason, right? It says there, Share the love of God with your enemies so that you may be sons of your Father who are in heaven. What Jesus is really telling us there is that part of our role is to put God as Father on display for the world. Okay? And that may mean that you have to do that for people that you just don't like. Okay? Uh, maybe there's people that have hurt you. Maybe there are people that have said mean things about you. We are always called to be putting forth God the Father to people. Because, again, what should that picture communicate to everybody? There's this provision. There's this love. There's this care that God provides. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. See, we can't love our enemies until we recognize the deep, deep love that God has for us as an individual. His fatherhood is exhibited to all of His creation. And he loves all of his creation. But guess who he loves quite a bit? Okay, all of us. But he, he, he loves his people, right? His chosen people. He loves all of his creation, but he has a special place for his people because those are the ones that are going to bring forth glory to his name. Okay? Think of any father. They should have a general sense of fatherhood towards all, right? I should instill some sort of fatherly image towards other children in the church. That's part of my job. It's part of my vows that I take when I agree to help families raise their children. But I'm going to love my children a little bit differently and probably a little bit more, right? I love Mikey and I love Addie. I love all the children, but I love them more because they're way cuter than all the other children, okay? 
delete that off the recording. But I love my children way more than I love the other children of the church. But I still love all of the kids of the church. That's kind of the way that God loves the world. He loves the whole world, but he loves his children even more so. And he's going to pursue and care for his children even more. Okay? First Peter 2.9 tells us, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous, marvelous light. So there's a special fatherly relationship that God has with his people. He wants to display that fatherly relationship. There's a book that came out last year that's been pretty popular. It's called Gentle and Lowly. If you have a chance to read this book, it's very good. It's by a guy named Dane Ortland, And he starts out, one of my favorite chapters in the book, by describing a young boy, 12-year-old boy, growing up in a healthy, loving family. And as he matures in age, and by no fault of his parents, he starts to describe the way that this young boy tries to fit in into his family. And he finds himself trying to figure out how he can actually find comfort and assurance being part of this family. The way that Orland describes it, he says one week he'll try to make a new birth certificate for himself. The next week he's painstakingly scrubbing the kitchen floor trying to get this approval from his parents. The following week, he's imitating his father in every single thing that he does. And then at some point, the parents realize something's going on in this young boy's heart right now. And they ask him, what are you doing? What's the problem here? Right. And the boy's response is, I'm doing all I can to secure my place in this family. What's the problem with a statement like that? Who does he belong to? Yeah, he's already in the family, right? And there's really nothing that he has to do to secure that spot, right? But the father graciously replies, he says, calm yourself down, my dear son. There's nothing you could do to possibly earn your place among us. You are our son, period. You didn't do anything at the start to get into our family, and you can't do anything now to get out of our family. Live your life knowing that your sonship is settled and is irreversible. And this is a really, really neat picture of our relationship with God. And how he is our Heavenly Father, right? The fact that we literally did nothing for God to love us. I I read the passage earlier. We love because what? Who loved us first? God loved us first. He displayed that heavenly, fatherly love to us so that we can be a part of his family. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll close with this. Page 917. This passage that we're going to close with is going to communicate that very same idea. That there's nothing that we have done to deserve God's love, but he displays his fatherly love to us because of his love, right? So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. And really this whole section is such a beautiful picture of God's love for us, but I want to focus on just these verses. It says, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So his choosing of us to be adopted into his family, right? It means that he takes in people that had no business, no ability to make themselves part of his family. 
There's not a merit system in the CPS system where children have to do all these things and they have to gain all this favor. And then once they get enough boxes checked, all of a sudden they're adopted, right? That's not how it works. Children get adopted because people want to take in somebody. They want to bring somebody into a family. They want to make them part of a family, right? If there was some sort of merit system, then it would be a free-for-all in the, the adoption care system. And it would be crazy and it would be wild and it would be the Wild West and it would be strange. But the whole premise, and many of you are adopted, so I hope this kind of resonates and hits home. The whole idea that people adopt children, there's no stipulations attached to it. There's not like, you can be part of our family if, right? When we're adopted, we are made part of a family. There's no but after that. We are made part of the family. Just like this kid is trying to find his place in a family, the father steps in and says, it's settled. It's irreversible. You're my son. I'm your father. It's done. There's no question to that. But naturally, we as sinners, we want to put stipulations on that. But God makes it very clear That he is our father. And because he is our father, he created us. He loves us. He calls us sons and daughters because he creates us and loves us. It's as simple as that. Okay, And that's something that we actually get to celebrate. And something that we should celebrate. And it's something that I think we don't talk about enough. The fact that he is our father. This is an attribute of God that should give us a sense of daily worship to him. And it's something that we can reflect on because he is a father of all creation and he loves you. So we're going to unpack that a little bit more in small groups. But before we do that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. I do pray for our small group time, Lord, that you would help us to engage with this whole idea that you are our Heavenly Father, Lord. I pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us in our walk with you. And I do pray for all these students next week. They enjoy some time away from school, Lord. Just give them a blessed time to be able to relax a little bit and and get away. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an eye out for more audio upcoming from WYM.